0: This is Castle Stories, a podcast from Newcastle Castle about the rich history of the northeast. Hello and welcome to Castle Stories. I'm your host, David Silk. In this week's episode, we're going to be dealing with some myths surrounding travel in the medieval era. It's another one of those commonly believed myths about the past that people didn't travel, and that the vast majority of people were born, lived and died in the same village and never left. Now, I think most people are aware that nobles and other privileged people in the Middle Ages were able to travel, and this myth mostly relates to peasants. We're going to come back to peasants in a later episode, as there's an awful lot of myths to bust about them, but this myth makes a certain amount of sense when you're talking about the lowest classes of medieval society. The villeins, Cotars, and Bordars of England were legally bound to the land where they lived and they had to seek permission from their lord to move away or get married, as well as having to toil for a certain number of days every year on their lord's land. But therein lies the first little hole in this myth as well. Having to ask permission to do something is not the same as not being able to do it at all. Lords could, and did, grant permission for villeins to get married, move to other villages, and go on journeys. Surnames are sometimes a bit of a giveaway here. Many people in medieval records are identified by the place where they were born, A practice which would be unnecessary if everyone lived and died in the same village. So if you were called George of Hartlepool, that means that you were called George and you'd moved to wherever you were currently living from Hartlepool. Simple. Another factor in whether peasants could travel is that not all peasants were villeins or serfs. A growing number throughout the medieval period were Franklins, or free men and women, who might pay rent to a lord and receive wages, but were not bound to their service. These people could move and travel however they wished, as long as they had the money to do so. Most people, even the very lowliest peasants, in fact, would be used to travelling at least to their local market town every week or so to sell their produce and buy goods that they could not make themselves. Every year, there was a fair in most of these larger towns where travelling entertainers and traders would come, giving everyone some kind of contact with the wider world, even those who were bound to the land in the wilds of Northumberland. Craftsmen and women were frequently itinerant, although the word journeyman, referring to the middle rank in a craft guild, actually comes from the French word journée, meaning day, because they were paid by the day rather than because of their journeying. That said, many certainly did travel for work, particularly skilled contractors like masons, carpenters, and smiths. For example... The master mason who built Newcastle Castle between 1168 and 1178 was also responsible for building Dover Castle between 1179 and 1188. And the remarkable similarity between the two buildings suggests that he took his team of masons and craftspeople down with him to Dover. His name was Maurice the Engineer. You can read a little bit more about him on our blog. Merchants, too, also travelled for work, by definition in fact, as did the mariners who manned the ships that carried them overseas to ply their trade. The medieval world was connected by a vast network of trade routes that saw merchants travelling from all across Europe and the world so that the wealthy townspeople in Newcastle could, with enough ready cash, get their hands on pepper, silk, cinnamon, ginger and other exotic goods. Overseas merchants also lived and worked in Newcastle. Surviving records tell us of merchants from Spain, Italy, Belgium, the Netherlands, Germany, Denmark, Norway and Estonia, all trading in Newcastle. And we know from tax records that a number of Flemish and Italian merchants settled in Newcastle and were citizens of the town. So the towns where the merchants dwelt were actually pretty cosmopolitan places, where all sorts of goods could be bought and all sorts of languages heard. Work was not the only reason that someone might travel in the Middle Ages. All free men, from the poorest free peasant to the highest lord in the land, owed military service to the king if he should call on them. Laws were in place to ensure that everyone owned and maintained appropriate weapons and armour, and that they could mobilise quickly, and sheriffs were charged with regular inspections of local forces, making sure that they were fit for service. Word would be sent from the king, ordering the lords and sheriffs of the various counties to raise a certain number of troops for service, and have them assemble at a particular place by a certain date. These feudal soldiers could not be sent overseas, but were frequently raised for service in Scotland, and Newcastle would often throng with tens of thousands of people from all across England, assembling in their companies, ready to march north to war. This was not without a few problems. In 1322, there was a riot in Newcastle between some of the locals and Welsh troops of the King, who were stationed in the town. Enthusiastic soldiers could sign up to fight overseas for pay. Rates of pay were better than a labourer's pay in England, and there was also the prospect of plunder, as well as adventure, for those who find travelling overseas to stab people adventurous. A famous example of such a travelling soldier was Sir John Hawkwood, who began life as the son of a Bristol tailor, but served King Edward III in the Hundred Years' War in France as an archer before being knighted. He rose to command a mercenary free company of soldiers from all across Europe, who eventually ended up fighting in the wars between the Italian city-states, and fought both for and against the Pope. He ended up in the company of the Very High and Mighty, proving not only that travel was possible for commoners, but social climbing too. He even attended a wedding in Pavia alongside the poet Geoffrey Chaucer. We might come back to both of these fellas in a future episode. Trade and warfare were probably the most common reasons for travelling in the Middle Ages, But once you've swindled and killed, how do you seek forgiveness for your sins? Well, that brings us on to the last major reason for travel, and the most fun. Medieval people had holidays, or holy days, but these were days off work, days of celebration, rather than times to travel abroad. In the absence of any fast means of travel, like aeroplanes, this would be pretty much impossible, in fact. But there was a religious excuse for a nice wee holiday, in the form of pilgrimage. People would travel to the shrine of a famous saint to receive their blessing, as well as having a nice journey getting there, and hopefully pick up some interesting souvenirs. Shrines sold pilgrim badges, which were cheap tin badges that you could pin onto your hat or hood to show where you'd been, as well as making a nice little bit of money for the church. While many pilgrims were motivated by genuine religious piety, or were looking for the cure for a disease by the intervention of the saint, there's good evidence that a lot of pilgrims were motivated more by the desire to travel and see interesting places. Most famously, Chaucer's collection of stories, The Canterbury Tales, are about a group of pretty ribald and mostly irreligious pilgrims, making their way to the most popular pilgrimage site in England, the Shrine of St. Thomas Becket in Canterbury Cathedral. The North East would have seen its fair share of these visitors too, having at least two major pilgrimage sites. The first of these, Durham Cathedral, is still a popular destination today, and in fact at one time was probably the most popular destination in England until Henry II had Thomas Becket hacked to death and allowed his place of martyrdom, Canterbury, to beat Durham as England's holiest spot. The monks at Durham must have been fuming, but they still received a huge number of visitors coming to see the Shrine of St. Cuthbert, which also contains the remains of St. Oswald. Two saints for the price of one. The other might surprise you a little bit, but it's the explanation for why Newcastle has a Pilgrim Street, running northwards, out of the old town. It's going to Jesmond. Sometime after the Norman Conquest, one of the local people from there apparently had a vision of the Virgin Mary, and by the 12th century, a chapel had been built and had begun to attract pilgrims from across England. Today, the chapel is in ruins, but can still be found in Jesmondine if you fancy making a little pilgrimage of your own pilgrims used to stay over in the Pilgrim's Inn on Pilgrim Street in Newcastle before venturing out to Jesmond to pay their respects to the Virgin. In our next episode, we're going to continue with this theme of travel, and we're going to look at what it was like to travel in the medieval period. How did people get around? How did anyone they were visiting know that they were coming? Where did they stay? And what were the perils, pitfalls, and dangers? Well, you'll be able to find out when you tune in again next week. Castle Stories is a Newcastle Castle production. This week's host was David Silk. You can find out more about Castle Stories and about Newcastle Castle at newcastlecastle.co.uk.